The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us here as we kick off a new month, the month of March. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Always a pleasure to be here with you as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America, and we have plenty to talk about here on today's show coming up here we're going to have a conversation with chad hart from iowa state university always enjoy getting a chance to talk with chad we're going to do that coming up here in segment two and three today get his thoughts on where the markets stand how the economy is looking as we head into spring planting season and start off the new month we're going to get to that combo coming up here again in just a little bit also at the end of the show today commodity classic coming up next week we'll be there broadcasting live with the National Cord Growers Association booth 1603 on Thursday and Friday afternoon. If you're going to be there, stop on by and see the show live from 3 to 4 Eastern time. But we're also going to be learning about a lot of different companies throughout the show that we'll be able to share through the months ahead. And one of those companies we're learning about ahead of the show is Earth Optics. Our good friend Mike Pearson, host of our sister program AOA Agriculture of America, He's got a special interview with the CEO of Earth Optics, Lars Deerud, coming up here at the end of our show today. So definitely stick around for that and learn more about what Earth Optics is doing. A relatively new company doing some pretty cool stuff throughout agriculture. We're going to learn more about it coming up here later in the show. Well, kicking things off today, I want to take a look at some of the news headlines at agriculture here before we dive into a market discussion again with Chad Hart coming up here in just a little bit. Markets uh, been interesting here, a pretty big sell off the last couple of days uh, throughout soybeans, uh, especially on Tuesday and then seeing the sell off in quarter wheat before that. Trying to get a little bit of a recovery, maybe a little bit of a technical bounce on Wednesday in some of the markets. Something to keep our eye on there. Again, we're going to dive more into the markets coming up in a little bit. But part of the sell-off uh, possibly tied to in soybeans, that big Brazilian crop that is getting harvested. Of course, uh, we've been hearing about this big crop coming out of Brazil and how that's going to overtake some of the Argentine weather concerns because Argentina is having a real rough go of things when it comes to their crops, corn, soybeans, wheat here this growing season. Now, speaking of how things are a little rough in Argentina, on Tuesday, Argentine farmers, uh, they staged a protest in Santa Fe province to demand lower taxes and a better exchange rate for their exports amid a prolonged economic slump and historic drought that has battered crops and agricultural output. This report, according to Reuters, farmers are asking President Alberto Fernandez's government for less burdensome interventionist trade policies and the elimination of export taxes as they suffer from the worst drought in 60 years. 
Now, President of Farm Federation FAA, Carlos Actoni, in a video announcing the demonstration posted on Twitter, said, quote, we've been warning that the situation for farmers is difficult with drought, with frost, end quote. Argentina's capital controls have propelled popular informal currency markets where U.S. dollars are twice as expensive as the official tightly controlled rate. The controls create a incentive for farmers to export since revenues in dollars have to be converted back to the local peso currency at the lower official rate. Now, Argentina, major producer of soybeans, quarter wheat, is one of the world's top grains exporters, which provides crucial hard currency for the country's cash-strapped central bank. Local crops could bring in nearly a quarter fewer export dollars this season versus the previous cycle, according to the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange. Now, at the protest, Actoni called out officials to exempt farmers hit by the drought from paying some taxes, as well as suspend lawsuits against them and repossessions of their land due to some farmers' inability to pay their debts. He demanded respect for farmers and pledged to organize more action on their behalf. Now, last week, the exchange reduced its crop forecast for soybeans and corn to 33.5 million tons and 41 million tons, respectively, down from 48 million tons and 50 million tons estimated back in September. Now, the FAA protest in Argentina was also backed by two other influential rural associations, CRA and Conanagro. Now, Argentina will hold presidential elections later this year. The looming vote presents an uphill battle for Fernandez's ruling Peronist coalition as annual inflation hovers around 100%, one of the highest rates of surging consumer prices in the world. Also, adding low-cost ethanol to the nation's gasoline supply improves energy security and saves the average American household more than $750 annually. That's according to a new study by energy economists from the University of California, Berkeley. The analysis concluded that adding ethanol to gasoline decreases the price paid by U.S. drivers at the pump. The research estimates uh, say the average discount per gallon is 77 cents between 2019 and 2022, reaching a total savings of $95.1 billion annually for U.S. consumers. The authors of the study attribute much of this benefit to the Renewable Fuel Standard. Renewable Fuels Association President and CEO Jeff Cooper said the study's results come at a critical time for U.S. policymakers. Cooper says American consumers would be paying much higher prices at the pump if not for the inclusion of more than 14 billion gallons of low-cost, low-carbon ethanol in our nation's gasoline supply each year, quote-unquote, RFA commissioned the new study. Well, the Farm Bill funding squeezes on as farmers face increasing financial and regulatory headwinds amid competing nutrition interests in the next five-year Farm Bill. Those challenges were on full display at the House Ag Panel Tuesday. From WOTUS and restrictive pesticide and poultry rules to high inflation, interest rates and input costs, plus low reference prices and labor shortages, ag is facing huge challenges. American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval on USDA's latest farm income forecast. A decrease in net farm income in 2023 down 15.9%. Adjusted for inflation, that's 18% drop. The same report estimates that farm ranch production expenses will continue to increase by $18 billion. That follows a record increase of $70 billion in 2022. Prompting this from Duval on the next farm bill. We want to increase the baseline funding uh, uh, commitments on farm programs. We want to maintain a unified farm bill that includes nutrition programs and farm programs together. Not everyone agrees that nutrition, more than 80% of the farm bill now, will squeeze out farm programs. National Farmers Union head Rob LaRue. 
too often I, I sometimes hear the Farm Bill described as a pie chart uh, that somehow doesn't move and that as a percentage of one program increases that it might impact or decrease others. And that relative comparison just isn't the way our counter-cyclical programs work, right? One can increase or decrease without a dramatic, uh, direct impact on any other budget. Well, that's not the view of many ag Republicans like Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Just from the, the budget score, and uh, what uh, what has been done so irresponsibly, uh, particularly in the food stamp program, there's got to be a lot less spending. House GOP leaders have already directed committees to cut spending while a House-White House face-off continues over raising the government's borrowing limit to continue funding the government. And that is a look at some of the latest news headlines of agriculture here today on Market Talk. All right, coming up next, we are going to dive back into the markets and get some thoughts from one of our good friends, economist at Iowa State University, Chad Hart, as we roll out of the month of February into the month of March, spring planting not too far off on the horizon. We're going to talk about the state of the market trade, some of the selling pressure, the fund selling, and technical damage we've done to the charts here and why that's been happening happening in grains. We're going to talk about that and more coming up next, back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now as we take a look at what is happening in the market trade as we've rolled out of the month of February and getting into the month of March. Pleased to have with us our good friend Chad Hart, economist at Iowa State University. Chad, always great to catch up with you, sir. I hope things are going well there in Ames. Doing really well. How are you, Jesse? I am good. I'm good. And thank you very much as well. And, you know, I, I know that uh, we've seen some snow events in your neck of the woods and ice and whatnot here the last couple of weeks. But you know, the one thing on the horizon, Chad, I mean, calendar flip it over here to March. We are uh, getting ready and getting closer, theoretically, to spring planting season. And I think that's got to have some farmers excited. Oh, it does. I mean, we went from snow to ice to, you know, last night, a good thunderstorm rolled through here. And so you can see the weather patterns changing. We're getting a little more moisture here in the state. And yeah, that has farmers sort of chomping at the bit, getting ready for planting. Definitely. Well, as they chop at the bit and get ready for planting, they're still got to gotta pay attention to the uh, markets and their marketing plan, et cetera. And uh, a lot's been going on in this market trade here in the last couple of weeks, Chad. And, you know, as we look at things, we started to see a bit of a, a pullback in some of these grain and oil seed markets here, especially I, I think the winter wheat markets have been hit pretty hard the last couple of sessions corn uh, as well starting to maybe pull back to the bottom end of its range maybe set a new range possibly i just to start what what's your thoughts here as we look broadly at this grain and oil seed sector how, how do you see things as we get into the month of march well that's the i think the market's looking at two things right now one would be the global supplies we've got on the grain and oil seed sides which for the most part are pretty let's call them strong supplies we see a lot of production growth, especially outside the U.S., that's been hampering us in terms of export potential. And that's the other big key here is that while we've got these large supplies worldwide, we are seeing export demand pull back a bit. Some of that is because, you know, our trading partners are going to those other countries with their amenable supplies. But we're also worried, and I'd say USDA sort of highlighted this in their Ag Outlook Forum, is that we are worried that, let's call it the global consumer, is starting to slow down. 
that they're not buying quite as briskly as they have been for the past couple of years. And that may be catching these grain and oilseed markets sort of at the wrong time because it looks like we're going to ramp up production right as demand is starting to slide back down again. Well, you mentioned that Ag Outlook Forum. I'm glad you did. As you know, we think about that demand maybe sliding back. Farm income sounds like they're projecting those to be lower, yet we see a projection quarter beans, if it comes to fruition, would be record yields for corn and, and beans in that Ag Outlook Forum. Now, I think everyone maybe expects those numbers to pull back a touch, but what's your thoughts on, on some of those numbers we saw when it came to the average yield projection, acreage, et cetera, from the Ag Outlook Forum? All right, let me start with the easy one. That's the yield side. Whenever USDA lays out their numbers here at the Ag Outlook Forum, it's always just based upon their weather-adjusted trend line yield that's looking out there. So in this case, they haven't done a lot of adjustment for, say, the big drought conditions that still exist across the western U.S. It's mainly a 30-year trend, and that's where you're getting the stronger number out there right now. And they won't likely adjust that down until we get deep into planting and see how well we're moving along in terms of planting progress. But when it comes to the acreage side, what USDA does here is they make an initial estimate at this, and they did it last fall. So we had some early numbers in November with their long-term projections, and then they refined those here for the February Ag Outlook Forum. And what we saw them do was they say, you know, corn area is likely going to go up. Most of that is a recovery from prevented planting from last year. They're saying soybeans is basically going to hold tight at 87 and a half million acres. And then they showed some growth on the wheat side as we're looking out there. And a lot of these changes are a rebalancing, if you will, within the crop sector. They're seeing less land going into cotton and they see basically corn and wheat sort of picking up the balance of that land. Well, and I think about some of the acreage here as well and the acreage battle, quote unquote. You know, I've heard some differing opinions you know devil's advocates saying well farmers if they fall applied fertilizer their decisions made or if they looking at fertilizer prices may not necessarily even though we've come down may not necessarily make a big adjustment to acreage decisions what do you think about the fertilizer outlook and just how many acres we could see maybe change in the next six weeks, Chad? Oh, you can still see, you know, a few million acres move around over the next six weeks here. Because while it's true that, yeah, when that fertilizer does hit the ground, it does tend to indicate, okay, we know where farmers intend to put that land, you know, what crops are aiming towards. But let's face it, mother nature drives that final decision. And so we tend to talk about a five to 10% swing is still possible here within this next couple of months due to what does weather conditions allow us to plant across the nation. Take you back in time. You think back to this time last year, and again, USDA was looking for an increase in corn area, and what we found was instead, no, we shrunk back, you know, four to five million acres. Well, what was doing that was, you know, the weather changing and forcing farmers to adjust their planting intentions based upon what weather conditions would allow. Well, and I, I look ahead here, Chad, and I think about, you know, obviously you hit the nail on the head. Weather's going to be a big story here moving forward the next couple of weeks. That's going to dictate a lot of those decisions. Corn, still really good prices on the board here. New crop corn, I mean, a little below that $6 mark, that five ninety five eighty dollars mark. Uh, hopefully, some producers have been able to protect some risk there, um, but either way, still, 
if they haven't done a whole lot of forward marketing of new crop, it's still a really good price on the board right now, Chad. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd say that's the advantage that we're sitting with in a lot of our crops. You know, when I look at corn and beans, pricing both old crop and new still remains very strong as we look out there. Yes, we've had some demand challenges, but still we're working with smaller crops coming out of 2022. That's helping hold prices at very good levels for producers. And that's part of what Again, USDA sort of laid out in their net farm income. They show things slowing down in terms of, you know, income growth and that we're going to pull back here a bit. But we're still talking about very good income levels for farmers through 2023. How much uh, the CFTC data? We, we spent basically a month without that due to the ransomware attack. Uh, last Friday, we started to get some of that information back out, although it's about a month behind of, and it's going to be one of those things where uh, they say they're going to roll this out as they can to try and get us caught up. What do you make of, of that situation and how that impacts just the, the broader trade action in the markets, not knowing for sure if funds are net short, net long in these markets, Chad? Well, that's the deal. It's just another piece of information that's, that's missing right now that we've gotten used to having. And so that we factor that into what we expect prices to do, because let's face it, you know, a fair amount of trade does come from speculative interest. And so knowing roughly where that balance sits helps us figure out, okay, which way might the market be leaning, especially if the funds are approaching one of their critical times. For example, as we get to the end of every month, we know that a lot of funds rebalance their commodity portfolios. What's well, nice to know, are they short, are they long, which way are they going to need to rebalance? That helps provide some additional price signals within the market. So it is a big deal. Um, it'll be good to get that information back online and in a timely manner. Um, but it's, it's like other things, you know, when we've dealt with, for example, on the trade side, when the government would shut down, we lose the weekly export reports and we sort of feel around for a while, missing that data until it comes back in again. And so we're in that same sort of process right now with the CFTC data. Chad, as well, South America, uh, with everything going on with the dryness in Argentina, some of the rains in Brazil delaying soybean harvest and safrina corn planting a little bit. What, what are your thoughts? What's the latest you're hearing out of Brazil, Argentina, how that's factoring into the global picture, Chad? Well, definitely with the Argentina, we've seen the cuts in production that USDA's laid out there. The private estimates are showing even larger cuts as we look out there. And so, you know, that is helping tighten those global supplies a bit and, again, support prices here in the near term. I think as we're looking longer term, though, I think the question becomes, okay, we're looking at the National Weather Service and their forecast showing that La Nina is weakening. That tends to mean more moisture across our corn and soybean belts. That also tends to mean that Argentina next year will pick up additional moisture as well because they have that same pattern with us. So it, it's, it's likely as we're looking longer term, we're looking at larger production coming out of down there. But right now, yeah, especially with the Argentine crop being smaller, that's being supportive. I think the challenge here is really how does Brazil continue to grow? We've seen tremendous expansion on the soybean side and definitely with, you know, their safrina crop corn. There's growth on the corn side as well. And, and they've really risen to become our major challenger when it comes to export potential here over the next two to three years. 
Well, that is Chad Hart, economist at Iowa State University, joining us here today on Market Talk. And we're going to keep the conversation going. We'll do that on the other side of the break. Back with more Market Talk of the way right after this. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. We are having a conversation today with Chad Hart, economist at Iowa State University. Chad, I want to talk the broader economy here a little bit. This will help us segue, I think, into livestock trade nicely. Obviously, still recession worries out there in the broader market trade on Wall Street. We think about inflation. We've seen some of that data come out here in recent weeks, been a little bit hotter than anticipated. What's your take on just where things stand with the Federal Reserve, inflation, recession worries, et cetera, right now? Well, I still, I think the Fed is still trying to figure out, do they still have that potential for that soft landing that they're looking for? They're trying to keep the economy growing, even though everybody's worried about the possibility of recession. At the same time, too, trying to rein in inflation. And what they're finding is that's really tough right now. They put in this series of interest rate increases that has had an impact, but as the you know, as you said, the latest data shows, this inflationary problem we've got is stickier than they had hoped, and so I think we'll continue to see probably at least a couple more interest rate increases, probably of the quarter of a you know percent variety, like they did this last time. But, you know, I think they'll also, they're trying to slow down and wait and see how does the economy respond to this. They know that some of these inflationary problems are supply chain driven. That's something the interest rate is not going to fix. The other thing they're watching very closely is consumer spending. And so what we've seen, especially over the past year, year and a half, is that consumer spending has been this sort of juggernaut that, that's continued to grow We've basically stopped saving like we did during COVID and now have really drained that savings rate down to an incredibly low level again. And so we're waiting to see, does, does the interest rate increase get folks to spend a little less, save a bit more to help put the brakes on inflation? Well, I think on top of that as well, thinking about the farm, obviously if farmers, those operating loans, et cetera, it, it, interest rates are higher costs more money you know money costs more in this environment and i wonder how that could impact some operations here this year especially as you know the talk of planting the most expensive crop ever uh, supposedly here with just the cost of inputs and everything else you know i i think about that on the flip side for farmers and ranchers here in this inflationary environment right now well, as you say, yeah, they're, they're looking at the highest costs that they've ever seen through their careers, but they're also looking at some of the, the best revenues they've ever seen. And mm-hmm. in essence, I would say ag, we got to enjoy the good side of inflation before we had to deal with the bad side of inflation. We got to see our expansion in revenues sort of up front, and now we're seeing that expansion in cost catch up to us now. But I think as, as farmers are looking forward here, it's always, it's better to produce 
usually more than less. The idea is if I'm going to have income coming in, that still runs back to production. And so I think that goes into, like I say, look back at USDA's numbers. They're showing this growth in area despite mm-hmm. the increase in input cost. Why? Because the prices are still strong enough to cover those costs right now. Well, Chad, let's talk livestock, thinking about some of that consumer spending at the meat case, uh, you know, looking at this cattle industry, looking at beef at the meat case. We had another cattle on feed report Friday, 4% lower, February 1 compared to February 1 of 2022. And pretty much those numbers came in as expected. We continue to see this cattle herd shrink and shrink and shrink. I just wonder, you know, what this is going to continue to look like as we continue to presumably shrink this herd before we start rebuilding it, Chad? Yeah, it's going to take some time. And I think a lot of this, you got to remember, is linked back to the drought. And the idea of it's, it's, you can't expand that cattle herd until you've got the grass, the pasture, the rangeland with which to let that herd expand. And I think that's the, the major challenge. It's not an economic challenge. I would say prices are strong within the, the livestock industry. It, you know, this these prices could spur on some expansion if the grass was there, but that's the problem. The grass isn't. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as we're looking out here right now, yes, USDA signaled 2023, we will be lower. I've seen some estimates that suggest 2024 will be lower again as well, because we know it's going to take some time for that pasture land to heal. But then once it does, we will start expansion again. Well, and I think, too, as far as the meat case, we see competition for beef with pork. We have a lot of pork supply, seeing a lot of sales on pork, chicken there as well. But I think, too, on the on the flip side of that, Chad, someone wants to buy a steak. There are cer- certain people out there that say, I'm going to go buy a steak because I want a steak and it tastes good. And they may buy a cheaper cut, but they're still going to go buy that steak. I just wonder how some of that retail demand could factor into these markets here throughout the uh this first half of 2023 we'll say well well that's the deal i think what you've seen and this goes back to the inflation discussion part of the reason inflation is so sticky is because yeah there are people like me and i'll point at myself in this case that yeah if i want the steak i'll go get it it may cost me a bit more i may complain about it but i'm still paying for it i'm still wanting that at the center of my plate and that has been one of the major strengths when we look across the, the meat sector is that consumer demand here within the U.S. has remained very strong. In fact, when we look at per capita consumption of meat here within the U.S., we're at some of the highest levels we've ever seen. We're holding in there at about 225 pounds of meat per person per year. And so that wavers a bit, but that's at a, that's a pretty good, strong level for us right now. And that has been supportive across the livestock sector. The challenge, as you mentioned, is as a longer that inflationary problem lingers with us here, you do see consumers start to trade down, whether that's in terms of size of the package we're buying or maybe trade amongst the meats, looking for that, let's call it more affordable option on that protein choice. That's mm-hmm. the, I think, the concern as we're looking forward here is when do we really start to see that sort of trading going on within the meat sack counter well and as far as the hog market i want to touch on that real quick as well hogs have definitely taken their beating the last you know couple of months here april the lead month now starting to see a little more convergence with that cash index but as you as you look at this hog market you look at the pork side uh, of the equation what are your thoughts there 
Well, I think in this case, what we ran into was while consumer demand over the past couple of years has been fairly significant, strong, we saw our export demand on the pork side really take a hit, especially, well, throughout the bulk of 2022. And as we came into 2023 here, there was this question of, okay, have we pulled these prices back enough to help incentivize maybe a little more growth there internationally? And I think the early signs suggest that, yeah, we may be getting to that pricing point now where we are starting to get some more sales internationally. And the market I'm going to watch here will be China. When we're looking there, they're still dealing with the, let's call it the long-term ramifications of African swine fever. They haven't mm-hmm. been able to grow as quickly as they had wanted to. And let's face it, pork is what they kind of prefer in the center part of that plate. And so I'm waiting to see, do we see them continue to build their way in back into the U.S. market to help support pork longer term through 2023. Well, Chad, always appreciate your time and insight into what's going on with the markets and the ag economy, et cetera. Any final thoughts for us? Anything else you want to reiterate for our uh, listeners and uh, viewers here before we wrap it up today? Well, I've been using this with farmers as I've talked you know, across the state over the past month. When we're looking at our ag markets right now, I sort of call this almost like a Goldilocks spot. The idea is crop pricing, while it has come down, we're still at these very strong levels that are able to cover our production costs. And yet those, those price drops we've seen on the crop side have alleviated some feed cost concerns for a livestock industry. And when I'm looking at the economics there, you know, we're, we're doing pretty good there. So like I say, it's called the Goldilocks spot. Growers and users are sort of happy where they're at right now. The challenge is ag almost never is able to maintain itself in that area. So this is also a good time to look to protect pricing that is favorable to you right now. So Mm -hmm. as we discussed earlier, crop pricing, while it is down a bit as I'm looking at new crop, they're still at really good levels. If I'm looking at feed cost right now, yeah, we've seen some easing there and it gives me opportunity to again, protect myself and just in case prices move against me in the wrong direction as we move through 2023. And it comes down to sharpening up that pencil, making sure you have things in order, so to speak. You know those break-evens, et cetera. You know your position to uh, make sure you're on top of your marketing and protecting that risk that is out there, right, Chad? Definitely, that is the case. Our homework never doesn't stop just because we got out of school, especially if you're in farming. <laughs> yep, we've got to keep track of that bottom line number because that's what keeps us on the farm. That is a great, great point. We'll wrap it up there. Chad Hart, Iowa State University, always great to catch up with you, sir. Have a, a great rest of your week, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jesse. Have a good one. And again, always great to catch up with him, Chad Hart, economist, Iowa State University, and with the Iowa State University Extension. We appreciate his time today here on Market Talk. Coming up on tomorrow's program, uh, talking markets, we are going to sit down with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. We normally do that uh, as we recap Wednesday trade. We're going to do that on tomorrow's show. And also, we'll have Brian Doherty of Total Farm Marketing with us tomorrow. So, going to have a jam-packed show for you coming up here on Market Talk tomorrow. And next week, we're going to be spending time in Orlando, Florida at Commodity Classic. Really looking forward to this. And on Thursday and Friday next week, we're going to be broadcasting live with the National Cord Growers Association, NCGA, uh, 
We'll have Market Talk live in the afternoon in their booth uh, during the show. It's going to be a great, great time. Looking forward to it. If you are there, stop on by booth 1603 from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern. You could see Market Talk live there on the floor of the Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida next week. Again, that's 3 to 4 Eastern coming up next Thursday and Friday with the National Corn Growers Association down at Commodity Classic. Coming up next, speaking of Commodity Classic, we have a special interview with our good friend Mike Pearson talking with Earth Optics ahead of the show next week. We'll get to that coming up next. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Ahead of next week's Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida, we learn more about Earth Optics. Our good friend Mike Pearson, host of AOA, our sister program, sat down with Earth Optics' Lars Deerud to learn more. Here is that interview. Well, folks, we're talking today with Lars Deerud. He's the CEO of Earth Optics, a company which just a while ago received a Series B investment round. They're primed for growth. He joins us today. Lars, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, thanks for taking the time to join us. Lars, if you would, give us the elevator pitch for Earth Optics. What is it that you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. So we're a soil mapping company with an emphasis on mapping. So we invest in technologies that drive down the cost of measuring just about anything you want uh, within soils uh, and dramatically increase the resolution. So we use machine learning and sensors kind of like those right behind me in that poster on side-by-sides to dramatically improve the power of a single soil sample. So we can take a handful of soil samples on a field and test it for fertility, carbon, uh, and compaction and give you a very high resolution map for a fraction of the cost per acre than you're normally used to. That is incredible, Lars. And it sounds like that's the sort of technology that's appealing to investors here in 2023, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. So I think we've got a bunch of investors that are interested in the work we're doing on carbon, but also just as many that are interested in the way we're driving down costs for traditional fertility sampling. So what do you see? Let's talk fertility sampling first and foremost. Lars, what is Earth Optics bringing to the table on that front? Yeah, absolutely. So using our machine learning and sensors together with satellite data, we'll go out, we'll take about one sample every 10 to 20 acres, uh, but we'll also drive over the field, collect very high resolution sensor data, and we bring it all together using machine learning. And the end result is a soil fertility map with your standard attributes or even some newer unique ones and various soil health metrics. Uh, with the resolution that's similar to that of a one acre sampling grid, but much closer to the cost of, of uh, zone sampling. So we're talking four or five bucks per acre instead of, you know, as much as $25, $30 for one acre grids. Well, that is substantial. And the ability of the machine learning to sort of synthesize the data between those two samples, Lars, that's where the sensors come in. And can you tell us a little bit about the, the sort of sensors you're carrying across these fields? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we carry electromagnetic induction sensors, uh, EMI, that's been used in throughout agriculture for soil type uh, mapping quite a bit. But we also carry ground penetrating radar. Uh, and really, those two complement each other quite well in terms of providing a unique data set that allows us to correlate with the laboratory data. That ground penetrating radar is some pretty interesting stuff. If I recall from the Series B announcement that that ground owl technology was part of what enticed these investors. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So these both these sensors, the ground penetrating radar and the electromagnetic conduction have been used throughout agricultural research for a while, uh, but they've never really made it to prime time for commercial use. And the kind of short re version why is 
somebody might write a PhD thesis using them in, you know, in one area of Ohio. And then they realize that whole model they built didn't work in North Carolina or Iowa. And so really what we saw is like, these are really valuable tools for telling how soil varies from one location to the next and from one time to another. But the variability is complex and embedded with a whole bunch of other things like changes in moisture uh, and changes in soil type. Uh, and so really machine learning was the perfect tool to take kind of that PhD expert out of the picture uh, and not have to have a new PhD for every single county you wanted to try this technology in. Uh, and it was exactly what we needed to kind of untangle all those complex interactions to really allow those tools to be used to determine when specific soil attributes are changing from one location to the, the other. Can you talk a little bit about how Earth Optics synthesizes all of this and presents it to the farmer? What do I note when I'm trying to use this data on my farm? Yeah, we want, we want to make it really easy to use. So all our data is available to the grower or any other stakeholder, like uh, your agronomist. It comes via the web. You log into your system and you can click through all the attribute maps that we've made for you, whether it's compaction, including our compaction tool that allows you to dial in your target PSI for the soil and gives you a map where you a map of depth where you would need to till in order to achieve that, to remediate compaction at that level. But everything from all your NPK maps uh, and carbon maps, organic matter maps. So they're all just different selectable maps. You can export them and bring them in whatever tools you want to, to create your fertility plans or whatnot. The goal is to make this data actionable. You don't just want it sitting in a file cabinet. Can you talk a little bit about how the soil carbon project is going to work towards that? Yeah, I mean, so one of the things we're really excited about is making Car maps, detailed maps of soil carbon, actionable and engaging for not just the grower, uh, give them the kind of data they need to become not just food producers, but also carbon producers. Um, you know, growers have been using yield maps to improve their production activities for decades now, where they can see what's working really well over here, where they can increase planting density. And we want to do the same thing for, for carbon maps. So we're now arming them with high resolution carbon, soil carbon maps. So as they're trying things like uh, cover crops, you can see, hey, I'm getting great performance over here on this field and this soil type, but not as much over here. Maybe I should try something. Maybe I should try a different mix or maybe legumes over here because it's not working very well, not getting a good ROI. So we think that's critical on increasing carbon productivity in the U.S., but it's also the kind of really engaging data sets that drive a lot of value for carbon buyers, right? Everyone believes that when they see these year over year carbon maps in high resolution over, they're really getting what their money pays for. So from a marketing device to help add value to the, the food ingredient that folks are producing, uh, we're really trying to make that data available to growers so they can market their food ingredients in a, in, under that climate uh, friendly banner backed up by more, more data and more engaging data than anyone else is offering. Now, Lars, is the soil carbon project off and running? Absolutely. So we're working with a handful of food producers already. We're looking to continue to sign up more. Uh, but our goal with that project is to do annual year over year carbon measurements to, like I said, drive value to the food ingredients that were produced in the year that carbon's increasing in the soil. So it's for all those buyers out there that are looking for sustainably produced corn, soy, you name it. These are the kind of data sets that farmers can now associate with their food ingredients and, and hopefully negotiate higher pricing on those ingredients because it has a market, a positive climate marketing claim available to that, that buyer. Right. That's right. Adding that verification capability gives them a little more peace of mind when they're making those carbon purchases. Lars, there's a lot of cool things happening at Earth Optics. Are you going to be out engaging with farmers here anytime folks can touch base? We'll be at Commodity Classic and just about every other major trade show that's going on in the U.S. for agriculture. So see us at Commodity Classic and, and the next one you're at. Fantastic, folks. We're speaking with Lars Dierut, CEO of Earth Optics. And Lars, thanks so much for joining us. Mike, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. 
And again, that's Mike Pearson talking with Lars Deerud of Earth Optics. That's all the time we have for Market Talk today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your day. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.